Live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island, it's Cofield and Company. Brissett back to pass, Lux throws, middle, Cooper caught it, touchdown! Brissett to Cooper for the second game in a row. Brissett takes the snap, back, looking, firing, up in the air, caught, touchdown, David Njoku! Chubb will be the tailback, Froholt the fullback, they turn, they give it to Chubb, he vaults, he spins, he lands, touchdown! It's time for Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. It's Friday, Friday, gotta get down on Friday, everybody's looking forward to the It is fun. It is a party. It's Friday. Adam Hill, Willie Ramirez down here at the Golden Circle at the TI as we are each and every Friday. Willie is here basically all weekend, so you can come down and hang out with him tomorrow in the morning. Good details on that later on. It is a big weekend full of football action both here in Las Vegas, or for the teams here in Las Vegas, and around the NFL and college football. We'll get into a whole bunch of that as the show moves along. Our usual star-studded guest list on a Friday with uh, football angles from all over the country, especially here uh, with the Raiders in Las Vegas. Steve Cofield on the road with the Rebels. He'll join us in the final hour to break down UNLV's game this weekend as well. We'll get into all of that and so much more as we continue on a Friday here at the Golden Circle at Treasure Island. Come on down and hang out with us. It's a party, as you heard. Rebecca Black says it. She doesn't lie. Party and party, and on a Friday, Willie, what's up? What's happening? A little perplexed. About? I keep getting these weird followers on Instagram, and I don't understand why. Well, they're, they're bots. No, they're sex workers wanting me to click on their videos. Yeah, that's bots, though. Oh, yeah. Well. <laughs> that's what that is. I don't I, I, I'm not sure what I would... <laughs> What I warranted for that. What are you saying? You you clicked on them and then no 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 no. I know I n- I've never clicked on. It. I just it just cracks me up that I get that you know you get like two three of these a day. Everyone does. That's that's what happens on Instagram. That's what happens on all social media. I don't want it. I don't want it. Well, either I mean your only choices are to just get off social media. Or I don't get them. that. I don't get that on Twitter. Yeah, you do. They don't message you as much, but they follow and they're they're around and they. Try I don't to get, get messages on Insta. I, because mine is set up to where you have to, you know, their request, and I don't go to all. I don't go search requested messages. I, I, I don't really notice who follows me. That I, I just usually this time of the year it's Raiders fans. Sure. I don't get a lot of Golden Knights fans. Raiders fans though, they jump in, especially when Tafer retweets it. Like when I did the con, I did the the giveaway. Sunday, guest Derek Carr's throwing yards, and I gave away a program. Ronnie Lott was on it in the, in the home opener pin. Guy in Virginia won it. He he messaged me today, let me know that he got it. But Tafer retweets that, and it goes ballistic. And then I pick up a few, you know. And then bots, and they follow you and message you, and then you don't check the messages. No. Uh, you can't message me on Twitter. You, your DMs are open. Uh, they are. Why? Do you get hate mail? <laughs> of course. Of course I do. <laughs> you were about to say, F yeah. <laughs> of course. All the time. <laughs> Pretty much exclusively. 
But I, I mean, I don't block or mute anybody on Instagram. I just think it's an open forum and or, or on Twitter. I mean, and yeah, I'll, I'll, you enjoy it. You like the banter. Well, also like, I actually got a story tip yesterday oh. from somebody. Nice. So I, if your DMs aren't open, you don't you don't get things like that. So I don't know if I'm gonna follow up on it. It's pretty uh, pretty out there, but maybe aren't they all? I do have I do have another story that I worked on that I was very excited about that uh, we can get into later on in the program as well. Uh, but Willie, we mentioned we are here at the Golden Circle at Treasure Island, getting ready for all the action. There'll be baseball on coming up in a little bit, some college football as well. Uh, we'll check all those things out here, uh, f- and, and enjoy the great food and drinks and everything that's going on. And then you're here again tomorrow. What time are you out here, and what what do you guys got going on on the show? Tomorrow, nine to eleven, Gooch and I, your former roommate with the bad temper, who throws remotes. Uh, we got a uh, we got a nice little show. We got Darren Millard coming on to talk hockey we have Teresa walker she covers the tennessee titans for the associated press we're going to talk a little raiders and cofield we're scraping the bottom of the barrel for guests well it was part of the thing you know part of the whole i i said you know on especially on saturdays on game days i wanted to do a rotation where we go cofield once and and then uh and then Caleb Herring, and then Paloma. Just, you know, have some talk. Got to talk to UNLV football. I mean, they're headed to a bowl game, so we might as well talk, talk them up. We got Michael Felder coming up in a little bit. Talk college football. Uh, we have Damian Barling, as we do uh, quite often here on the show. We'll get into uh, some Bay Area football topics with him. Uh, maybe some NBA as well. Some wild things going on there. Stanford route, as he does each and every Friday. And by the way, I heard a story about Stanford route today. Well, it's not really a about him, but he's definitely a prominent part of the story. Oh boy! So we'll kind of get to the bottom of that with him, see if he remembers uh, what was going on there. Uh, and Steve Cofield, as we said, talking about UNLV football from up in Utah this weekend. Uh, but the Raiders are in Tennessee. We're going to full breakdown of that game coming up in a little bit here. The Golden Knights have opened camp as well. We'll get into some more details later on. But uh, you were out there. What, what's it, what's kind of the mood and the uh, sense around the building with the Golden Why Knights? Why aren't you in Nashville? Flight five AM tomorrow. Oh, okay. I'll be there. I just I was wondering about that. Yeah. I mean there's like like last week was it last week? No, two weeks ago it's understood. I mean you had UFC, then the, the all night drive and then but I just was curious, you know, you didn't. stuff going on here. I gotta get I'll take the latest flight I can. Busy guy. If I could guarantee a Sunday morning flight would arrive in time and not be delayed, I would take Sunday morning flights. No shot. Not not these yeah, days. You can't. So uh, Plus so yeah. plus you need time in Nashville. That's one of your spots. Well, I'm, hey, I'm not getting much. A lot of like most of the the traveling reporters are there right now. How long is the flight? Uh, like three and a half hours. It's easy. Well, you'll be there at eight eight thirty at nine o'clock. You'll hit the That's town by eleven. Time difference. It's not like you need sleep. It's a time difference. Okay, <laughs> so it's later. Add a couple. Well, it'll be, it'll be fine. Uh, but yeah, the game's coming up. I'm sorry. What's the most mood around the Golden Knights? It was it was cool yesterday. Uh, only one person brought up, oh, media's back. Pandemic is, must be over brought up the, the, that the locker room was open but everybody was really kind of receptive kind of in a good mood jovial uh you know i went in to the locker room for all three groups we met with mccrimmon he he made a joke at our, our boy steve carp right off the bat walked in um bruce cassidy was very straightforward until the end and then he started laughing and joking and then i once he was done i, I asked him a little question about his son if you remember when introductory he was talking about trying to transition him to be a fan of the 
She's going to have to talk to him, you know, because for so long, fans of the Red Sox and the Patriots. So, um, but everybody was some, you know, they were, they they were, you know, it was one of those things like, you know, get it all out of the way. Everybody's, you know, friendly, all the niceties, if you will. Hey, how's it going? Yeah, good summer. Carlson's married, you know. Um, the only person that brought something that was like, oh, man, you guys are back in here, huh? Pandemic, it was Alec Martinez. That sounds like that was probably more playful. Well, it, it wasn't vindictive. Like, it wasn't mean, but he just said it, and then I was like, yeah, well, you know. He goes, God, it was nice and peaceful. And then we, But then here's the thing. I had him alone for about four minutes, and he opened up a lot about last year's injury. Um, there was only one part where he said, it's our first day of training camp. Probably don't want to get into that, but I will someday. But for the most part, Gave me a lot of really good stuff, little, very emotional stuff, just what he went through, taking that blade to the face and, you know, th- something that, you know, you never think of when you – and uh, but for the most – like I said, everybody everybody was cool. Stone was upbeat. Uh, I had a great conversation. I thought of you just because of how many great conversations we've had with some of the guys when you turn the recorder off. Jack Eichel was great. Yeah. He was fun. Yeah, I've always enjoyed him. So, yeah. unlike the – uh, the Raiders locker room where there is one player who's not happy that we're in the locker room again and he's been how was that today very vocal about it uh, he joked a little bit about it today what about yesterday because I didn't go yesterday joked a little bit about it yesterday too he joked about it or did he do the same thing joked about it a little oh yeah but I think it'll be fine did the one person did the one reporter who thought it was him he said he was going to confront him about it did he go and talk to him yeah he said what you know what's what's going on what's what, the issue what's the deal and he said basically I just don't like that you guys are in here yeah. So, that's fine. I can't wait till he has a bad game. Oh, it'll just, be it'll be in my story. He certainly won't answer questions about it. So, uh, we'll see. Um, yeah, but interesting. Maybe maybe we can share those stories one day as well. But yeah, definitely a player. Not happy that the media is back in there. Uh, we have had some great stories this week from some of the players. We'll get into uh, some of those. I will also say, I am so tempted. There's somebody here uh, at the TI wearing a shirt. That is so ridiculous, and I so want to just have him on and talk to him about it. I, I gladly give up my seat. I, I, I want to go home. But I, you need him all three hours. I just I don't think he'd be able to defend it. I, I think he would just get beat down, not be able to to talk. Look, look at you got Mateo. He's digging out the headphones. Kids I mean, I, and he'd also probably. I'm just looking at him. He'd probably curse a lot. Is it this guy? Yeah. It's cantankerous. Nah, we're not having. He's on the phone with somebody. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I feel like it would go south very quickly. It's probably not the best thing to do. But I still want to do it. I can't. We can't do it. Maybe we will. Stay tuned. Maybe you never know. We might have a special guest joining us uh, in a little bit. But we have so much Raiders to get into. Injury report is out. We have a couple of players that are out. And one isn't traveling with the team, but is only listed as questionable. We'll get into that. That could be a very, very relevant absence uh, for both the Raiders and for fantasy players on Sunday. So we'll get into that and some of the other stories from the Raiders locker room throughout the week as we get you ready for the football weekend. Cofield and company down here at the TI, the Golden Circle. Come on down and join us. Tomorrow at 9 a.m., it's Throw the Flag with Willie Ramirez and Gooch live from the Treasure Island right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Tick, 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 t
you know, Mike Vrabel can get up there and talk to those boys and tell them it's a must-win situation or, you know, say exactly what I'm saying, but it's on the players to get out there and play. You got to have that discipline to channel that energy in the moment, and that's what it really comes down to. It's not about what the coach talks about or what the players get in the group. You want to have a damn meeting on the sideline. None of that matters. It's about what you do. It's about how you play, not about who you are. You are listening to Cofield and Company live at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. The voice of Devontae Adams coming back, talking about the sense of urgency. The he, him and the rest of the team don't want to use the word desperation, uh, but it is a it is a game with a lot riding on it for the Raiders. You do not want to fall to zero and three. The numbers for zero and two teams making the playoffs are bad enough. Zero and three teams uh, makes it. Very, very difficult. Put you behind the eight ball. So they don't want to be in that situation. They need to win this week coming up. I'll say he is not. So I already got some people asking me. He is not the player I was referring to in the locker room. He doesn't doesn't like us being there. Um, in fact, Devontae has been, I think, great to deal with and talk to. And uh, He does podium every week instead of locker room discussions. But uh, I think he's been great. I think he's been very honest and open and uh, given some great quotes. I would say that... 90% of the Raiders have been good. I think that there's one or two that are cordial, but I think that 100% feel the exact same way as that player. Yeah. And I could tell which ones they are. Sure. But I also feel like there are some that, you know, at the far end where they have the lounge chairs, like they purposely, like, I don't know who's, you know, I mean, there's there's 53 guys in there. I, I, some of them I don't know who, what they look like. Well, there's so more because there's, there's 69 well, the, yeah, practice, practice squad. Practice squad. Um, but they purposely sit in their chairs or their lounge chairs or they're going to, they lift, right? They can lift within that 45-minute window. But I think for the most part, you know, I mean, some of the guys, they're always, you know. Oh, yeah. They're, they're really good. For sure. And Devontae's not, of course, one of the ones we're talking about. No. He's been no. he's been great, and he makes some good points there. So the Raiders go into Tennessee searching for their first victory of the season. Uh, the Titans also in the same situation. They are 0-2 and looking to get up off the, off the turf, lift themselves up. The Raiders dealing with some injuries. Just mention it. I'll say before I mention the Raiders' injuries, the Titans are dealing with more injuries and more significant Crazy. injuries. It is nuts. Uh, Taylor Lewan obviously out, but Dupree, a major, major part of that defense, he is out as well uh, to go along with several other players. But from the Raiders' perspective, let's start right from the top. Ruled out already officially Denzel Perriman, who missed last week. He got injured in week one against the Chargers, missed last week, didn't practice all week. He will not play again. That is a big loss. They had to deal with that last week, and they played very well for three quarters. Didn't fare so well in the fourth quarter when they got tired, but... Um, that could be part, of, potentially part of the depth too. That they had to play so many plays, didn't have a lot of depth to go to. The, a lot of guys were out there for the entire game, and they got tired, and so they'll have to deal with that again. Uh, obviously, Blake Martinez, a, uh, a you know a veteran linebacker who's been around, ton of tackles in the league. He's in for a visit today, but it's not going to help for Sunday. So Denzel Perriman being out, a lot more falls on Jayon Brown, who played a lot of snaps last week. Former Titan going home, also Divine Diablo, who was. Wearing the green dot, doing a lot of the communication last week. Played, I think, every snap on defense, which is wild. Uh, a lot falls on them again. With no Denzel Perriman, that is a big loss on the defensive side. He's a tackling machine, uh, a communicator, an inspirational leader. A lot. Uh, he's relied on a lot on that side of the ball. That's a tough loss, for sure. Yeah, I, the one that I was curious about, um, Andre James, is 
questionable status. He's in or was in concussion protocol, as was Hunter. Hunter's out. Andre's questionable. So I, I'm not sure that I necessarily get that. But Well, Andre James' concussion was week one. He missed last week. Uh, he was true. limited the last two days. There is protocols that go on, and so I guess we'll, we'll move on to them uh, and talk about the concussions that the team is dealing with. There's a protocol that they have to deal with to come back to play. Uh, it involves, you know, passing a series of tests, tests that I don't understand and I, I won't know, it doesn't matter, but to pass a series of tests off the field, uh, they have to be able to participate in football-related activities on the field before they are officially cleared. So I know a lot of people are saying, well, they he didn't practice today, so there's no way he could clear. Well, that's somewhat true, but not, because they could do a walkthrough in Tennessee. Hunter could have cleared but they don't have any indication that he's going to. So he's already ruled out. Hasn't practiced at all. They don't think he's going to be able to get through each of the steps of protocol in time for Sunday. So they've just proactively ruled him out. Now he doesn't have to travel on the plane. He doesn't have to go through that, which is really tough for somebody dealing with concussion symptoms. Uh, so he can stay home and just kind of deal with it and, uh, and kind of get better, get healthy. Andre James missed last week. He did return to practice in a limited capacity Yesterday and today, he had a red non-contact jersey on, so he has started to go through those procedures. He is much, much closer to clearing. Of course, a week earlier was his injury. Much closer to clearing than Hunter Renfro is. So they'll take him. They'll work him out tomorrow. They'll put him through the tests. If he passes the team tests, he will then have an independent doctor put him through the same tests, and he will make a determination. It's out of the team's hands to clear a player to return. So they think he's closer along in the process than Hunter Renfro is, so that's why he is questionable. Hunter is out. I don't know if there's much difference between him and Parham, and I think the more that Parham, if like if he were to play this week, you know, um, he did have one penalty last week. It was a holding call, but when it comes to that offensive line, Derek said it this week. He was like, I can't remember who asked the question, but he was like, a lot of times I don't even know who's on the line for during a series yeah other than my center i don't know who's out there um obviously he would know if 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 the center's not doing his job but i mean parham seems to be the 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 interaction the you know the delivery to the of the ball i i don't know i I, i'm a little i'm kind of questioning now if and i and you know i like andre james i think i think he's a good i think he made the transition nicely last year um but i i just wonder if Parham is unintentionally swiping that that job. Well, perhaps I think the the issue there is that if anything, it's even. I would say Parham. We've we've seen a much shorter sample size, but Parham is yeah. right there with Andre James. Andre James is a good player. He's not, yep. you know, he's not an All Pro. Nope. He's a he's a good solid player. Uh, he's got experience, and I think that's where it comes in handy. The issue I would say is that now it's at guard where Parham might be able to fill in a guard which you know maybe he's better there and, and serves a you know is a more important role there p- potentially and that now he can't play guard so he if he's playing center now you have to figure out the guard positions which has been john simpson uh and lester cotton i don't know if that's going to be the case on sunday i think we could see some some shake up to the offensive line now we're not allowed to be out there watching reps yeah uh, we can only watch stretching right now in practice but it's weird. You you see how they line up for drills, and that usually tells you something about where they might be playing. 
And so it could be coincidence. It could be something relevant. But there definitely was a different kind of order to some of the drills where you're like, okay, maybe there are some changes coming at the guard positions, maybe even both guard positions for the Raiders coming into this game. Maybe even somebody who was playing tackle like Jermaine Illuminor could potentially be playing guard and allow Thayer Munford to step out to tackle. Those things are all possible. But but the issue is, right, I don't think there is much difference between Andre James, Dylan Parham playing center. The issue is, what does it do to the rest of the spots on the offensive line, and how does it shake out and affect the depth there? That's kind of the question, and we'll see what they do going into the game. Now, the guy we haven't mentioned yet is somebody who's listed as questionable for Sunday's game. A little bit of a surprise to people when the injury report came out. Josh Jacobs, questionable for Sunday. He did not travel with the team. Uh, I will say the team, see what time is it right now. They're on the plane. They probably have even departed at this point. Uh, when I was leaving the team facility to come over here, the police escort with the six team buses was leaving at the same time. Josh Jacobs was not on the bus, any of the six buses. He's not traveling with the team. He may travel on his own and get to Tennessee and be able to play. But right now, he has missed the last two days with illness. We don't know what illness that is. Uh, but he is ill and unable to practice, not traveling with the team, probably trying to keep him away uh, from the team. And we'll see if he is able to go on Sunday. But certainly, missing practice yesterday with illness, she said, okay, big deal. He'll be back tomorrow. He wasn't. And now he's got that questionable tag. I think there's definitely concern about Josh Jacobs' potential status for Sunday. Which I feel, I mean, we haven't necessarily seen the rushing game play a major role. I mean, Josh Jacobs has come out and, and sort of run with authority, and then all of a sudden the, the running game disappears, um, and that's on McDaniels. But um, I think that this could be pose a problem for the fact that McDaniels played Jacobs in games one and two with only one running back coming in for a couple of reps, not utilizing the entire, you know, um, running backs room, if you will. It, it's it's and, and if that's his if that's what he wants to do, that's fine. But it's it's more the point who's going to be the lead back now. I have my thoughts. Um, I would like to see it be Samir White. Me too. I think the guy has unbelievable potential. I think he's a really explosive, dynamic playmaker in the running game. I'd like to see them put him out there and give him a shot. I think they will give him a shot, but I don't think they'll make him the exclusive guy. They've got so many bodies back there, uh, so many veteran bodies that they trust so much in Bolden and Abdullah. I just don't foresee them just handing the reins over to Zamir White like they do to Josh Jacobs. But I would like to see it, and I would certainly like to see, see him be more involved. He's He didn't get any carries week one. He got a couple carries last week, got a little bit more involved. I would like to see him just turn him loose, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I'm right there with you. I mean, I've been touting Zamir White since OTAs. I I definitely think that he, you know, with the reps and the confidence and putting him on the field, the chances he's going to produce. He's going to be um, effective. He just needs to get out there. He needs the reps. Um, they, you know, it, it, it was the talk of OTAs and training camp was, you know, once they let Kenyon Drake go, and then they said, "That's this is what we're keeping. Okay, well, you have these stable running backs, so you, you got to put them to use. And they may have to now because we don't know what the deal is with Josh Jacobs. Um, as you said, it's it's an illness. So not sure if there are tests, negative tests that need to come in. We don't know what it is. could be anything. Um, and like you said, I mean, I think he's probably got about 24 hours before he can jump on a charter and get out there. 
Who knows? Maybe well, yeah, he'll be able to play you, with if you. If you can chart, I mean, if they're going to fly him commercial first class or something, then, yeah, it probably has to be by tomorrow evening. But, yeah, you're right. If they're chartering, which they probably would, um, Mark Davis. all the way up to Sunday morning. Why not? Fly him out there, get him, get him in, get him into the stadium as a running back in particular, just kind of drop him in and let him go. If Kelsey Plum can return from Connecticut with her eyes half shut and say, I'm faded or I'm lit, one of the two was, uh, eating salad on a private jet, Josh Jacobs can get to Nashville. It's very stylish, Kelsey Plum, by the way. We'll get into that later on in the program. Uh, we'll continue this conversation about what the Raiders need to do to get a victory. Uh, that is the injury report. A couple other guys on the injury report as well, but those are obviously the highlights of the injury report for both the Raiders and the Titans. Uh, get into more keys to the game, what the Raiders have to do, what they have to watch for uh, if they want to get their first win of the season on Sunday when things roll on here from the Golden Circle at the TI. Join Cofield and company on Mondays for the live 2 to 5 show at Twin Peaks in Henderson. Big beers for under 4 bucks. Select appetizers are 2 4 and $6. Come hang at Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football. This defense, historically, is one of the best in the league at forcing long drives, which means they don't give up a lot of big plays, you know, in general terms. They got two really good safeties that protect the deep part of the field very well and touch the ball, too. So we just got to be disciplined, you know, and execute. And like I said, a couple teams have found a few opportunities. And, you know, if those come and those present themselves, hopefully we can take advantage of them. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. It is Cofield and Company. You hear there Josh McDaniels talking about some of the big plays that have been surrendered by the Titans over the first two weeks of the season. The bottom line is the Titans just have not been good. They're not a good team right now. They were last year, number one seed in the AFC. They have the talent, the coaching staff, the resources to put it together and become a good team at some point. But right now they just aren't very good. So all these little intricacies of why they haven't been good or what's gone wrong, um, they all add up to just – the Titans aren't good right now. You have to go find a way to beat them. That is the Raiders' task on Sunday. Uh, and there are some some things that certainly should be should be keys to that, one of them being to not let the Titans find confidence. I think that was a big thing that happened last week where the Cardinals had no confidence coming in. They were blown out, and then they were blown out in the first half, actually the first three quarters against the Raiders. They found a little bit of success, and that confidence built on itself, and all of a sudden the Cardinals were a confident team again, and they – found a way to win in the end you can't let the titans start to feel good about themselves they have to be doubting themselves and they should they haven't been good don't let them feel any kind of success or feel good about themselves on sunday and i think that starts with derrick henry um you know it i talked to uh several of the defensive players the other wednesday when i was in the locker room and asked them what what it is about him and they just said once he get you cannot let him get that first step that, you know, you got to be on him when that first step hits because if he gets any sort of momentum, he's a downhill runner and it's just you're going to have to gang tackle him. you got to get two, three bodies on him. It's, it's relentless. And I did a little bit of research um, on Patrick Graham and his history in terms of, um, you know, the, stopping the rush. And when he was with the Giants – uh, in his time with the Giants in the same capacity as D coordinator, the Giants allowed the 11th most rushing yards, so combined two seasons, nearly 4,000 yards in two seasons. And he was very deliberate 
uh, when he spoke Tuesday, he just said he is a big man. There's not a lot of people on the planet that look like him. Tackling is the number one thing, and then the relentlessness. I mean, this is a back that could get the ball 25, 30 times in the game if you let him. So, I mean, it's going to be relentless. He's going to keep coming at you. And the thing that Graham pointed out also, he said in study and film, is that Tennessee's offensive line and Henry, they don't seem to get tired. They seem to get more they get more energy as the game wears on. And that's what you were saying. You get that confidence. By the fourth quarter, they've worn yeah. down the defensive front. Yeah. All those things that you said about them are last year. They stink right now. The offensive line is terrible. Derrick Henry can't do anything. Um, but, you, but again, if they start to find it, that will continue. That will build upon itself. And that's when you'll be in some trouble because, as Deron Harmon told me today, everybody talks about the run game, but you go in there and everybody built, stacks the line of scrimmage. You think nothing about anybody else except for Derrick Henry, and all of a sudden the play action goes over your head, the screen game pops at you. All these other things happen because you're so focused on stopping one guy. So if they get that screen game going and that, and that running game going, that's when the Raiders could be in trouble. So they have to shut it down early. We'll see if they're able to do that. Uh, Michael Felder coming up. He's going to break down all sorts of college football for us. We continue here at the Golden Circle at TI. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Hang in at the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. It's Cofield and Company. Cofield and Company live at Treasure Island, Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Time for our weekly college football breakdown with Michael Felder, national expert. We come right out of the gates, Mike, with the bizarro news out of Tempe, Arizona, Arizona State. Gets rid of Herm Edwards. This thing is nuts. Yeah, I mean, it's rough, man. And I got a buddy that works out there, and he's like, yeah, I don't, like, what are we supposed to be doing? And how does this work? And so it's just been very wild to watch how this is all, like, this it came in, you know, came in like a lion, goes out like a lamb in, in terms of they come in with this new idea for college football and this we're going to have a CEO and we're going to do all these things. And then ultimately just it doesn't work. There's off the field issues in terms of with the NCAA and it just isn't it didn't go well. They had to cut loose. Now, the, the interesting thing for me and you tell me what you think. You think that they're going to keep the same model with a different coach or they're going to come in clean house and do everything completely different? Has to be completely different. The CEO thing doesn't work in college football. Maybe it works in college basketball because there's less to manage. No, the head coach has to be involved in everything. Otherwise, when you hand off power to a guy like Antonio Pierce, who's now in town with the Raiders, and he's the boss essentially, and then you get in trouble for all this COVID you know, visitations and violations, and then there was dissension. This whole model sucked. And frankly, Ray Anderson, I think, should probably be on the chopping block because Bobby Hurley has been a mess of late. This did not work. At all, it's a, it was a it was an interesting experiment. Just didn't do it. It's all good. And on top of that, we find out that there was such dissension in the ranks that there were people on the staff or somewhere around the team leaking information to other schools. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of dissension. There was a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, and so and and people not. And I think it's because it's also when you change the model. It is something that people aren't used to. Right. So you're trying to force them to operate in a way that's not industry industry standard. And when that happens, there is obviously pushback. And what the pushback is by way of leaking things to whether it's to the NCAA or leaking things to schools or making someone like um, Adam Brenneman, making a guy that's a first year coach, making him kind of a scapegoat for a thing when you're supposed to be. And, and as you mentioned it, you're supposed to be in charge. You're supposed to have your hands on every part of that and that's 
kind of the challenge of being a head football coach. The in-season game one bump, I don't know if it's exactly true in college football. We saw Mickey Joseph in Nebraska just had nothing because it's, you know, old uh, old habits die hard, and I wonder what's going to happen with Arizona State. I'm not a fan of laying 15 and a half on the road, but Utah comes to town. Utah is focused. Utah is mean and nasty, and I could just see him, you know, first quarter starting to get downhill, and then Arizona State's looking around like, what's the point? Yeah, I, I actually, I, I like I like Utah and the points, like giving the points. Like they're, this team is focused, and I think they're, they're I think they're becoming increasingly embarrassed, honestly, mm-hmm. uh, at that loss to Florida because they know that they should have won that football game, and so now they they cannot lose. They have to win every game, and so we're gonna see these guys come out and play. They're they're gonna everybody's gonna get their best shot. We always talk about this in the way of like. A team like in Alabama, you get everyone's best shot. A team like Notre Dame, you get everyone's best shot. I think for Utah, I think the opposite holds true where not that other teams aren't going to give them their best shot, but that Utah is going to give everyone Utah's best shot for the rest of the way. If they lose a game along the way, they lose. But I think the reality is I don't expect them to have a flat game for the rest of the season. Road spots are tough in the Pac-12, especially in Oregon and Washington. And SC's on the road. Their defense is a little leaky. The offenses look really good. Jonathan Smith is a great coach. Oregon State in that atmosphere at night, USC's laying six. Yeah, I, I like Oregon State. If we're just looking at the number, I like Oregon State. Um, I don't know why there's a reason Oregon State can't win outright. I think they're remarkably explosive. I think they're a team that's so off the radar for most people that – no one realizes how good they are with with Fenwick, with Lowe, with with Treshawn Harrison, with Tajon Lindsay. Obviously, Nolan at the quarterback spot. This team is explosive, and what we've seen. And, and I know you've watched a ton of USC as well. A ton is relative based on you watched every game they've had this season. Three. So, what we got? What do we have? Four red zone trips for Stanford with no points. Three pick sixes against Rice. <laughs> like you can't live you can't dine on that you can't live off that it's yep. not sustainable and i think oregon state might be the team that kind of exposes isn't the right word because we're already talking about it so it won't be an exposure it happens on saturday night i think oregon state's a team that can make good on the idea of oh if we can move the ball between the 20s we can also move the ball in the red zone and that's going to be the key getting you ready for the college football weekend it's cofield with michael felder college football expert at in the bleachers we'll get back to willie and adam in just a little bit Tell people about uh, this week's bulletin, your weekly four hard downs. Yeah, four hard downs. So every every Sunday, I get up in the morning every Sunday. Well, I don't want to, but my, my kid wakes <laughs> me up. My kid wakes me up every Sunday. So I say, you know what? This is a good chance for me to do some work. And the big thing is I take four of what I thought were the biggest biggest points, biggest things in college football. Um, one almost doesn't count, which is, you know, so many teams were so close to getting the win, right? Cal was close. USF was close. Troy was close. Couldn't close the door. So this is going to be a week going into this week, at least. Uh, Steve, I'm looking to see who can close the door on those upsets because it matters so much, right? And and that, that can buoy your program for a long time. Michael Felder's with us at in the bleachers on Twitter. That's where you find his, a weekly bulletin for hard downs. Played college football at North Carolina. All right, let's talk about the Tar Heels. What a wild season for the North Carolina and Notre Dame programs. I don't know what's going to happen in this game. Hey, man, this is I, – I was talking to Max Starks, uh, former um, offensive lineman, and he – for, the, for the, the Steelers played for Florida. 
And he looked at me and said, well, what do you want to UNC? What do you think? And I said, hey, man, this is like the opposite of the immovable object against the unstoppable force. This is the stoppable force against the movable object. Like Notre <laughs> Dame is the stoppable force on offense. And UNC is a very movable object on defense. And honestly, this game is its terrifying. Listen, I know you're in Vegas. If you're a gambler, stay away from this game. Stay away. <laughs> Get away from it. Because I don't know what the over-under is going to look. I don't know what, what what's going to happen in this game when it comes to the over-under. I also don't know what's going to happen. Like, if this is a 27-24 to 24 game, UNC is going to lose. But if this game is 45-42, to, to, to 45 to 42, UNC is going to win. That's like they, they they scored sixty three points, albeit it was in overtime, a couple of overtimes against App State. But this is a team that they live on offense. Notre Dame they live on defense. And I mean, after watching the Marshall game again, I'm like, I don't know if they've got the juice to score, and I don't know if they can stop UNC. And so that's going to be a really interesting one. And but and this for me has been a week of this is a, this is a huge week for discovery. Right, we find out who who these teams are. We mentioned it with USC and um, going up to play Oregon State, but we're gonna find out um, if Drake May is for real because Drake May, he's putting up he's a, he's got a, I think it's eleven to one touchdown to interception ratio. This is a guy that's like he's a freshman who's just putting up numbers. So I think that absolutely this is gonna be a really interesting football game. By the way, is Drake May correct that the kids who go to NC State just weren't smart enough to go to UNC? That is, listen, you know what? Uh -oh. I'm not uh -oh. touching this. I'm, listen, I don't. <laughs> that, I had I ha, one of my best friends. He, my, one of my best friends now is a veterinarian and he has a farm in South Carolina. And he only applied to UNC to prove to people that he could have gotten in. He wanted to go to NC State because he wanted to be a veterinarian. My wife went to Michigan State. They say the same thing about Michigan State. Yeah. She only applied to Michigan to prove that she got in. So it is a real thing from the other side, from the Michigan side, from the the, the UNC side. Yep. And it is a real thing. But, yeah, listen, we do have a saying in North Carolina. But now you're getting me. You got me in my UNC bag. Let's go. Let's go. We, if you can't go to college, go to state. <laughs> okay. All but, right. it's a but it's a really good school, honestly. Yeah. Like, I know a couple people that transferred from UNC actually to go to NC State once they realized that whether they wanted to be a veterinarian or they wanted to work in ag. I'm not saying these two schools are bad in any way, but I, I don't think this week they're debating, uh, or ever, ever in the lead-up to the game, they're debating academics, and that's Florida and Tennessee, an intense rivalry. Florida, it was one-sided for the longest time, Michael Felder, but now Tennessee is ahead of Florida in terms of you know program building. This is a big number, though. They're, uh, this is one of the biggest numbers in the history of the series on the Tennessee side. They're actually laying 10.5, so are they going to freaking whack Florida here? I think that what we're realizing, and I, this is why I brought it up when I was talking about Utah, Utah was upset. They're kicking themselves in the behind because they should have won that football game. And then you look at what Kentucky was able to do to them, get a win. USF, you can't tell me USF shouldn't have won that football game. I mean, their last two plays were disastrous. The missed field goal, but also the, the fumbled snap that cost them 15 yards, which made that missed field goal a lot harder. So that was disastrous. But I think the big thing for me, is we're realizing that Florida's defense is not that good. And we spent so much time talking about Anthony Richardson and what are they going to get to you from an offensive standpoint, but their defense is not that good. Their defense can't stop anybody. And the, they're, like it's basically the defense should let every team get to the red zone and then hope that team makes mistakes because that's the only way that they win football games. So 
the thing I look at when I look at this game is Tennessee and tempo. And I say this every time, and I will continue to say this every time I talk about Tennessee. Watch their wide receivers. They kick at 3.30 Eastern. What is that? 2.30 Central, 1.30 Mountain. Watch their wide receivers. You're going to see a lot of wide receivers over the course of the day. They get up. They profile. They point for the first down. <laughs> every every play that's not a touchdown for Tennessee, they get up, look for a referee, and then throw him the football so they can spot the ball and keep moving. This is a team – I think this is the team that's most addicted to tempo in America. They want to go fast. They know that fast is an advantage. And that fast advantage is going to be a problem for Florida because Florida – has a defense that already makes mistakes, and now you're going to be making those mistakes fast. And if you make those mistakes fast, what we have are plays that we saw Utah get for, what, 12 yards, or we saw Kentucky get for 16 yards. Those are going to be 70-yard plays against Florida because if you're in the wrong spot, you're wrong. And when you when you give them a crease, they take it. Michael Felder's with us at In the Bleachers on Twitter, part of the Learfield podcast family hand in the dirt and college sports now. Let's close – this convo out this way, and, and Michael's a national college football voice. We almost never talk about UNLV during our discussions, but they are out to a 3-0 start. And you mentioned Kansas so. earlier and Kansas trying to change the culture with you know by bringing guys in from winning programs. And yep. UNLV's had some success with transfers here. They have a developing quarterback that was in-house, but Aiden Robbins, a Louisville transfer who really never played there, went for 227 last week. It's the culture change and just pure talent level is changing with the Rebels. Yeah, I, I listen, I dig it. I, I love what they're doing, and it's been really – And you mentioned Robbins, obviously, uh, putting up the number, but I look at it. Like, the big number I look at, listen, two wins, we're, we're putting 56 – we're putting 50 points up in, on the board. That's crazy. That, that, that means that your offense is clicking because there's a lot of teams, Iowa, um, who when they play these games, like if they play Idaho State or even North Texas, they're not scoring 50 points. Michael, Nevada, like, Nevada – Got shut out by Iowa, 27 nothing, And I know the conditions were weird. Incarnate Word went to Reno and scored 55 on Nevada. Yeah, it's so it's your offense does have to be clicking to put those numbers up. You know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be doing something. So I see that. Obviously, the Cal game, uh, Cal is a team, and we saw Cal this past weekend against Notre Dame, right? We saw Cal, they want it. They slow the game down. Cal – between Cal and Stanford, they're like a what is it, like a West Coast Wisconsin, basically, where they try to slow everything down. But for me, with UNLV, bringing in new new faces to kind of help change the culture, but also coaches that's working hard to keep that job, and it's important. All that stuff matters. So for me, I, I look at them, and uh, this week, who do they have? This week, they've got um, they're at Utah State, and Utah they're State. they're actually they get bet from a small dog to a favorite. They haven't been a road favorite. Since October 29 of 2016. Woo! Yeah, I, I think this is a team that's got it. I think they're very much in the same vein as Kansas, where the big job for the coaching staff is not, hey, we're doing better than a year ago. The big job is we can be even better. And that's what I'm looking for out of them this weekend and moving forward. Same thing I'm looking for out of Kansas is not just, hey, we only won, you know, two games or one game a year ago. No, and we now we're at three. No, it's now it's like, hey, let's do four. And guess what? Let's do five. Let's get to six. Let's get to this. So the next phrase for them is not just being better than – the next state for them is not just being better than a year ago. It's about getting to that bowl game, getting to that next level. So I'm looking forward to seeing that out of – I mean, honestly, looking forward to seeing that out of all those teams. Looking forward to seeing that out of UNLV. 
Looking forward to seeing it out of Kansas. And I'm looking forward to seeing it out of Duke. Here's the reality. Duke, Kansas, one of those teams is going to walk away 4-0. And that is why we play the games and preseason predictions mean nothing. Michael Felder, National College Football Expert. Find him on Twitter at In the Bleachers. Four o'clock hour is on the way. Willie Ramirez and Adam Hill will have the Battleborn Sports Talk Hour on ESPN Reno and right here on ESPN Las Vegas.